Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Excess for Podcast Live, your live podcast, comic, webcast, video, simultaneous co-thing for Kronos Gaming Classics, Modern Marvels, and more. I'm Nico, and you can check me out right here every Sunday at 10 a.m., but also on Twitter, Instagram, Hive, and more at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, this show, all over the place at xnatexgray. X. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me mainly at Twitter, but also like everywhere else on socials at Dazzler AOA. This is like Dazzler in the age of apocalypse. And yeah, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Right? This is so exciting. I'm always so happy to do this. This live thing gets me going every Sunday morning. It's like uh, really exciting because there's something about the energy of talking about these books in the moment that's so different. And we have such a phenomenal slate of books today. I'm so stoked. We got through some really great stuff we got through some really cool magic and fantasy stuff i was really excited when we started developing this segment because i feel like right now this is kind of the underdog corner of the marvel universe but i'm excited to dig into it because i think it's where a lot of the really cool stuff is and i think you know a couple years from now this could all be the stuff that's on top and like the magic stuff could be a little more background and i'm glad we get to highlight things like uh demon wars peach is doing mm, peach and team is doing amazing work in there damage control is so much fucking fun it's like ah like daredevil's so good like the miracle man mm, wow okay it's just across the board hits and uh you know it's stuff like our continuing coverage of moon knight our continuing coverage of demon days titles that we've been covering their you know their whole runs which you know gone over a year now it's just so exciting to get to see these titles whose creators we've talked with continue some amazing runs and today we're going to be taking a look at demon days shield of justice very excited about that we're also going to be taking a look at Moon Knight 17, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings 1 through 5, Punisher and Daredevil issues 7 and 6 respectively, Damage Control, the complete five-issue miniseries, and Miracle Man, the Silver Age number 2, and we have a number of amazing contributors who we could not do this show without. They, you know, are the show. So I think without further ado, let's get some Demon Days going and bring in some amazing voices. Let's do it. Do it! Ah, hello, I'm Raven, aka Sanguine Threads. You can find me kind of all over the place. So yeah, find me. Hey everybody, I'm Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And I'm Tori Sheehan. You can find me over on Instagram at SM Tori. That's Tori with an I. Hello, it's me, Steve. And you can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, Mastodon, Hive, maybe some other places at Howdy Duda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. Alright, so today, we all get all gathered here to celebrate the glory that is Demon Wars. Alright, so excited to talk about this book with y'all. So, like, obviously, we've got the same team that we always have. We've got Beach Momoko doing the art and the overall story. We've got Zach Davison doing work with the story and translation. And then we've got Ariana Mar doing her beautiful, beautiful covers on these issues. Um, Like, this team, to me, is, like, a holy trinity of Marvel teams. Like, I 
I, I think I can't imagine the Demon Days Demon Wars universe with any other creators on it. Like, especially, I mean, Peach obviously is a driving force, but just the three of them gel so well together. Uh, and I'm so glad we live in a universe where we get to see these beautiful interpretations of these characters. How do y'all feel about this glorious, to me, team of creators? I love them. I love that we've gotten to talk with all of them. I love how passionate they are about all of this. I love how different and wonderful everything they bring to this is. Everything shines. It's it's such a joy to get to to get to dive back into this every issue. Mm -hmm. I love that I don't really need to know what's like the bigger stakes of it. Like I feel like I'm dialing into a piece of a universe, but it's a complete story every time. I'm not distracted by the what ifs or what don't I knows. Instead, like I kind of savor them. I'm not left to contextualize. I'm left to like like ponder excited and that's one of the things that I think a really good AU does. It leaves you excited to fill in the gaps and want more. And that's really what this book gives me in a big way. Yeah, there's a tendency for specifically our kind of nerds, the kinds who make podcasts <laughs> in the greater Marvel Universe, to like look at each character and be like, all right, but who is this in the mainstream universe? How does it work? Whose baby is this? Stuff like that. And we definitely got deep into that with our uh, Demon Days coverage. But at, this far into this universe, I'm just like, these are the characters. This is who the characters are. They're great on their own. They are who they are. Sometimes I can notice similarity and be like, oh, this is who this is supposed to be. But like, it has completely ceased to matter if it ever mattered who these characters are because they, they are these characters. They're the characters in the story and they completely rule. I love this team. I know that we've all like had the chance to talk to them all and we all know that they are incredibly cool people in real life, but their work just continues to shine. And every time I open up a Demon Days comic it, or a Demon Wars comic now, it just kind of blows me away. Like the first page is always just like such a flex and this issue kept up. I think the thing I always uh, compare this universe to is 1602 and I have found, you know, that was that was really where I started was being like this kind of I see a similar thing in 1602 uh, or I saw a similar thing in 1602 that I see here, but 1602 was really invested in like, these are the X-Men. This is the Fantastic Four. You will see them doing the things that they would do in the modern universe, but reset slightly like tinkered slightly for the 1602 universe everything is reasonably comparable i don't say that like it's a bad thing but what has really impressed me about the peach momoko verse is you get kind of a taste of that you get some ideas of that you know you have things like what is obviously emma frost as the white queen but as soon as you can see something that is very obviously an analog to something in the mainstream universe the creators of it and just do whatever they want and they stop really worrying about like will everything translate will everything be that character but slightly tinkered for this universe the tinkers are big and they make the characters less comparable over time in a way that i i think is a, a net positive and really creates something that is always organic it's always what the creator wants and never a slave to that idea of like oh but it's gotta be like what if 616 but here yep. so you're saying it's basically 1602 edo period <laughs> <laughs>
I love this. I love this comic book. Well, I, I love the art and the lines and the colors and the everything. I'm, you know me. Yeah, I, I drool over anything Peach Momoko because it's just so beautiful. But it's interesting. Somehow between the art and the story, it feels less like, ooh, I'm directly in the middle of the action, which is what a lot of like Western Marvel comics tend to do is they try and insert you directly in and make you feel like you're part of the action. This feels like you're you're sitting around a camp campfire or, or or an evening dinner and just listening to these beautiful tales being retold and you're just you're sitting there and you're watching it all be painted in front of you kind of thing it's just it's so delicious and so captivating just to read that sometimes I forget to read the words <laughs> and I have to go back I'm like yeah oh god I was just looking at the art gotta go because the art itself tells this beautiful story that barely needs words to actually give give you anything and then the words also give you a story so it's like it's like getting two in one and i love it you bring up a good point it, it reminds me a lot of there was a x-men annual i forget what what issue it was but like way back when like around 10 11 12 9 8 9 10 something like that where it was like almost a follow-up story to kitty's fairy tale where they did the where they had uh wolverine and yana telling stories around the campfire and then we get that beautiful like weird kate in space arc thing that happened happens and it's, it sounds this seems very much like that where it's like you're retelling the stories you're bringing it into the lore of the era you're telling it as and you get to reconceptualize the sto- the characters comparative to most alternate universe stories and timelines this doesn't feel like we're placing characters uh, that are the exact same that you're familiar with in situations where like tk said what if this was earth 616 but slightly different what if i don't know cap wears green underwear instead of <laughs> white and blue for something i like that oh no hydra cap (laughs) realistically changes the entire trajectory of history in that universe if cap changes his color of his underwear but (laughs) here we're getting a lot of remapping of iconography where we can recognize this is what the character we're supposed to be relating to and how they might you know react in similar situations but they're completely different and it, it feels like okay it feels like these are new characters even if i am familiar with how these characters look and they might and share some similar qualities as as a nerd who has a fascination with mythology from all across different cultures getting to see so many different characters that i love from the marvel comics as yokai and like every issue that comes out i'm like ooh, who are we gonna get this time who's gonna get who's gonna get their yokai version the yokaiification of them if you will uh and i get really excited thinking about okay but this person can work as this yokai and like how I, it gets my brain turning and gets like i just get so excited to see where the entire creative team goes with oh i didn't think of using that character for this that's pretty great and with the choices that rico maybe isn't even so much allowed to make in this issue but forced to make in this issue how do we feel about mariko's journey through this landscape of the momokoverse civil war like you know we've got all of our big players from our classic marvel event you know brought into the momokoverse world how do we feel mariko's journey is going especially with this issue how do we feel about some of the big like changes too you know like basically our iron man 
it's basically dead we're assuming at this point and you know where are we going with the, how are we feeling about that it's an interesting choice to have iron man be the one who dies and not captain america in this particular civil war especially at the hands of the captain america stand-in it, it's nice because it makes anybody who's read civil war not know what side to actually choose because <laughs> like you know there's i feel like we all chose sides a long time ago and there's oh, one yeah. side that's good and there's one side that is well there's one side that's bad and there's one side that's less bad but <laughs> In, the, in this one, it seems pretty clearly that there's like there's carnage, carnageization going on, which makes it hard for me to think that there's actually a good side and a bad side, unless that there is there's intrigues and mystery going on by at the hands of Carnage. Like, why? Do, what does Carnage have to do with our Captain America stand-in? What is what does Carnage have to do with Kigandoshi originally, and why is it so tightly connected to the Jawbone? Like, are they one and the same? What's going on here? Are we going to get a Venomized? Are we going to get like maximum Carnage in this universe? Very interesting. But the like repeated appearance of Ogin in like bloody fog is not a what the coolest visual in this comic it is just unbelievable i love seeing that every time it is spooky it is so like i don't know it's ghastly and i love it that and like going back to uh kurosaki mountain at the end of this issue leads me to believe that we're finally going to be seeing you know a follow-up to the end of demon war uh demon days and getting to see more of that action i i like the idea that this is going to tie directly back into the story not just be a completely different story and that we're continuing the themes that we saw before so i'm happy with that i like that it's like a trades wall in individual issues she's just like this thing that thing this thing that thing this thing that thing and then it's an arc and it's like a whole world of peach and it's just what you know but in all new ways an issue at a time really great way to do it fly through i I love it but i also find it to be mildly problematic because i know the i know the the marvel universe a little too well at times so my brain's going oh okay what part of the arc is this supposed to be following and I start concentrating on where it's supposed to be coming from versus just letting it naturally happen in front of me and just concentrating on that part of the story. So like my brain just keeps going, what in the U.S. agent did, you know, not <laughs> just do? What in the U.S. agent? <laughs> and I'm just like, no, no, this is not. Stop trying to find the analog. Stop trying to find the analog. Just pay attention to like the story in front of you because that's really all that matters. It's a different thing. So like I love it, but at times it's also a little bit difficult because I do know that it it does follow some already established storylines. It's just a beautiful repositioning of it all. I think that was you know, that's been my experience as well and this these stories are training me to kind of stop doing that. I think Marvel has led us to expect that that's how things are going to be. You know, when we read any sort of alternate thing, look for the analogs. You will see the same story beats just, you know, done a little differently this time. So you're never too surprised. But this story really goes off on its own and it has taken a long time. And I I feel like I I too still fall in the habit because it's been literally decades of doing the same thing. But I think this could really open the way for other creators that are given AU time like this to not just give us more of the same but a little different for the sake of you know comics fans having a little variety as a treat more like i can put my whole creative soul into something entirely different with some recognizable anchors and readers will know to take my stuff at face value because pioneers like this did it so successfully that if i can kind of keep up at that same level readers will meet me there and i think this could really be the start of where we as readers ask for that 
that and creators are able to give that to us a little more. Yeah, I I definitely think that I was in this world where I thought of Mariko's journey where it's about discovering this other side of the world in the in demon days. The second part is about how to fit back into the regular world and that the third part would be how to combine the two. But I think we're really pushing towards the the combination of the of the two worlds a lot faster in this. The struggle that she's having, the sudden jumping out of her powers, the unsurety, the fact that real life feels like a dream, but the other world feels feels so vibrant and so real. I think we're really on quite the journey for Mariko. And I think that one of the great things about not having read Civil War before is that I get to come in super clean. And I'm just like, I have a general idea of how this went, but I don't have that instantaneous looking towards the analogs. And I think, TK, what you were saying about getting um, our characters in this AU, but slightly different and pushing more towards just getting a couple of beats along the way as Easter eggs is definitely something that I've been thinking about a lot of the fanfication of our media sources as we get people who grew up like really being heavily involved in fan fiction and fandom before they enter into these spaces where they are the canon creators. And I think that we are going to start to see these stories that are taking place in an AU not be so by the beat, just in a different color, that it's going to start to be a little bit more of you'll get this one line and you'll get this one interaction and you'll get maybe the same happy ending or slightly different. And it's going to be completely different otherwise. And it's going to be a lot more interesting for people who have been following these characters and do want to see something different from them. Final thoughts, any message you'd want the anybody who's on the about whether they want to pick up the series or not uh, anything to the creators any anything you guys want to put out there i'm just going to say sometimes i'm so jealous of you Tori, for not having read some of these stories <laughs> 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 because if you think you read civil war before and you hated it because you were like oh blah 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 you know whatever whatever this weaves mariko's story into a totally new arc that is yes based on the events of civil war but you don't have a lot of the underlying grossness of the event that i did love for. if you love art of a high caliber pick up this book i just yeah, yeah. Just, if yeah. that's what you like if that's what you look for in comics if you're reading dr strange fall sunrise you should also be reading this and there's side stories. Don't miss the yeah. side stories. Oh my gosh. Electra little... and Miracle Man. There's a couple of bonus ones. If you like what you're reading here, there's branches. Yeah. yeah. Electra, Blood, and Blood is good enough on its own to read and it's going to be in there. And, and I got to mention like y'all, everybody, like Momoko, the Momoko stuff is so popular. This month was basically like a month of Momoko variants. Like the eyes <laughs> of the Marvel Universe through Momoko. Marauders is definitely getting me to read the rest of the series because Peach is the main cover on all of them. Yeah. We got Peach's flat. art is just so amazing. It, it tells a story all by itself. Like a cover can just draw you in and make you want to read a story, even if you've never read it before, even if you're jumping in the middle of a run. I've literally just gone, I don't know who this is. I have to have it. The art is so good. You know, way back when. And I just, I started reading stories. I'm like, oh yeah, this story is actually pretty good. And this artwork is amazing. 
we're gonna keep doing this so yeah like marvel invest in people like peach please and i think also if you're like a person who loves mythologies of any kind you're gonna love everything that you're getting here you're going to be so interested in the yokai files i think it's really really fantastic work if you're on the fence and you haven't read it yet if you're a fan of mythology if you love art that's not what you're seeing in other books if you love very beautiful lettering i know we haven't really talked about it much this segment but ariana meyer really like pushes the boundaries of like interesting lettering that really helps tie everything together with everything and it's this every every book that comes out for this series by this beautiful wonderful creative team pushes the boundaries of comics and pushes where the story can go and i i can't recommend it or not uh and if you're not reading it you're only getting half the story so So, we do have a one new voice with us. Why don't you introduce yourself, Juancho? Morning, everyone. Uh, this is Juancho. You can find me on Twitter at Lost in Coco, and I'm so happy to be back on Moon Knight. All right. So, team, oh, like, I am so excited for Moon Knight. So, first, I got to ask, TK, are you reading Moon Knight? Are you, like me, going to be with Shang-Chi, where you're kind of just along for the ride for it? <laughs> it's that second one. I, I took a little peek just to see if I could kind of get into it. And Moon Knight has kind of been coming up a bunch in reading that I've been doing for other stuff for the show. So, I feel like I'm more ensconced in the character than I ever have been. But I think this is one that... I really got to decide whether I'm going to invest because just looking at this issue, this is not one of those books that you can kind of just like pick up and it's a story you can lead right into. It really does require doing the background work, especially by issue 17, which so few books get these days. I got to say, like, if you are thinking about reading anything about Moon Knight, uh, Jen McKay's Moon Knight run has been probably one of my favorite comics of the year, like top 10 easily. I'm still trying to uh, like, you know, iron out everything, but it's, it's issue by issue you may not feel that it tells as much of a story or an arc but when you go back and read over everything it, it really overlays and tells us about the character so we're here about moon knight 17 which as tk mentioned it is really rare for comics these days to get 17 issues so i am pumped and excited that we got this far and i can't wait to see how far we can get on this series so moon knight 17 is brought to us by jen mckay alessandro cupio and rochelle rosenberg is our color artist bc's Corey pettit and you know, we get to uh, a rematch, as it was, between Moon Knight and Nimian and Grand Mall. I think Dude needs more than therapy at this point. He's he's <laughs> definitely gone way off that deep end. <laughs> yeah. My du- you, he dragged Nimian behind a motorcycle going like 126. There are some rage issues there that are going to need to be dealt with at some point, but I understand why. How do you, how do y'all think uh, he got into the midnight mission? Do you think the midnight mission just opened up to let him in? Cause like oh, yeah. he just drives a motorcycle in and there's like, like through the front door, like through the wall. I think the midnight I, mission went, Hey, he's, whoa, he's coming in hot. hot. Open the doors, open the doors, open the doors. Yeah. That's, that's definitely what it seemed like. I don't I know. I felt like perspective thing being... with the moon kind of made like a hole and like, you know, because that whole moon crane thing it's a really good look yeah can we talk about how the on the same panel where the motorcycle is going at 126 the midnight missions moon looks like the doors look like eyes like they're scared <laughs> yeah i love that the, yeah. the, the moon doors always look like eyes and they usually look like big googly eyes but here they look like shocked and terrified <laughs> yeah 
I love that the Midnight Mission is a character that we have sort of had stories in for the past few issues, five, six, uh, maybe 10, 12. I forget exactly when the Midnight Mission came in, but it's a character that we don't know that much about. Like, we don't know the capabilities of the house. In my mind, I think of it as the house from the House of Leaves, <laughs> but like, it could easily be any other way because it, as Jed keeps showing us little by little, this house, we don't know what is up to. Maybe Moon Knight doesn't know what the house is up to. So. Uh, Capuccio does a really good job of like uh drawing the eye on a page something that we've noticed over the course of this run is that like capuccio's like really dynamic and energetic style just like pulls your eye to like one thing on the page and that sometimes leads to us like or me specifically but sometimes other people missing stuff that's hidden in like corners and something that i didn't notice at first when i was reading this issue but noticed only on going back through is when they first enter the midnight mission and the midnight mission is anthropomorphized as like a grinning skull above the hallway <laughs> that like my eye just completely this because you're following Moon Knight drag Nemian down the hallway as they enter into this like spooky haunted house deal where he's gonna punish them with like hell things but like yeah I really love that the Midnight Mission is this like grinning skull that can appear in its own shadow sometimes just to show us that yeah this is a person this is a character. I, I, I love the Midnight Mission because yes it very much is its own character and it's like an MC Escher creation had a nightmare baby with like Edgar Allan Poe and so so yeah, it just, it morphs itself into whatever claustrophobic horror yeah. you need. Because, oh my god, the thought of being dragged down by skeletons and just smothered in a grave, like what he did with Grandma, or being crushed under the weight of an entire city and just encased like he did to Nemian. I'm like, I think, I, I nope, nope, not not going in there, not, not ever going in there. That is terrifying. But you can almost see the glee at points in the house like there are just certain like little things kind of in the background that you're just like i don't know if moon knight is enjoying this or the house is enjoying this but this is just bonkers and so unsettling i love it you know, long-time listener, long-time editor, long-time reader, <laughs> but first time since, like, issue two or three being on a segment, something that I really have, you know, listening back to you guys and then getting to think critically, because I read comics differently if I'm going to be on an episode than if I'm just reading them for funsies, right? Right. And reading this one critically, I was like, man, I don't know how they always get so much out of 22 pages. I just, because it's kind of like a widescreen comic where at times the action yeah. will go on for six or seven pages. Yes. It's how much stuff they put in the two pages between and how far the art really takes the intricate detail work it really is like a marvel to hear the i don't know it's almost like i've been reading the book on reading the book on tape i gotta go i've been listening <laughs> to the i've been listening to the audiobook in my car and like now i'm actually reading it and i'm like i see where they're getting all of this yeah so i mean fascinating. so economical with his storytelling absolutely really really good at pacing but capuccio is like a perfect match to him because because he's got this just like vibrant extremely fast kinetic style but like we're always getting we're always getting these little character moments thrown into these like big throwaway battles these are the pages that i would just like skip over in another comic book to be honest like Same. i want to i want to get to the meat but the art is like it's fun it's energetic i flip the pages as fast as i can because i'm like oh man this is this is such a crazy action scene and we opened right in the middle of one this time but like the moment you get to the nitty-gritty it like slams on the brakes in a way that doesn't feel like jarring it just feels like all right 
right, now here's the part where we have to, we, like, we're paying attention to what we're saying. And I don't know, it always works so perfectly that way. It's like the slow-mo part of, like, you know, uh, an action sequence. Like, you remember in Deadpool, where they are fighting in the car, and then the car flips, and it suddenly goes to slow-mo, 3D <laughs> rotation, so you can see all the different pieces. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It feels like you're just going full speed, and then you have a slow-mo rotate, here's all the details moment, and then right back into the action. That is so hard to do, and I want to give huge props to Rochelle Rosenberg, because honestly, those colors, those, you know, the way it flows, it takes you where you need to go, and everything ties together so well. Like, this team is fantastic. Colorwise, I got to point out for, like, probably the be- one of the best examples of Rochelle Rosenberg is there's a page right after they pull Nimeon into the skeletons, and where Moon Knight's on his throne, and he's like, be welcome, be welcome, supplicants. Like, just the beautiful colors Daddy. on that page. I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, like Rochelle Rosenberg really needs to be talked about, like, as one of the greatest colorists at Marvel. Oh like, like, she's out there killing it issue after issue. So, Moon Knight and Tigra at the end, Tigra in that beautiful green dress. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah. <sighs> Tigra's dress, that's a, that's a showstopper. Like, <laughs> I love that McKay has made such a big deal out of Tiger in the series, and I love that. I love every, I love every Al Ewing and every Jed McKay that is out there that wants to make Tiger <laughs> in the Marvel Universe. I think that's really cool. Um, but like, wow, this dress! <laughs> so important to see a color story come together. My husband, the guy producing the show right now, is a comic book colorist, and like knowing the way colors come together to tell a story firsthand from like watching him color. Sometimes it really is like you gotta keep moving, and when you can see somebody has that beat and has had the time to find 17 issues of color story it's just an exceptional experience to get to read it's an interesting thing that i'm realizing a theme running through all of the books we're discussing today is how tight the teams are and of course comic book teams as a whole are all to the fact that any single issue gets produced let alone multiple ones every month you know it's all (laughs) incredible but like we're looking at some teams that really the synergy is next level. They are greater than the sum of their parts. This is another example, I think, where it, and you see it in the fact that it's successful for 17 issues, which we just don't get a lot of. Yeah. I think the, the Shang-Chi team uh, with Marcus Toe on art, really phenomenal as well. There's just a lot of great stuff happening. And I think sometimes we do get in certain books kind of lightning struck here. This is not something you could not, change one of these people out and have the result be more or less the same it would be radically different i totally agree while i was listening to you talk i was like these two teams like i can't you couldn't take a single person away from this and without compromising it yeah yeah um i want to point out uh so i was reading some like internet forums about this issue that i was trying to get multiple perspectives besides like the ones we get here and i didn't realize that this is basically alessandro capucci's first work like wait, as a wait. credited artist what wait like in america theory? or total uh, i mean I, at least in like uh, america because i couldn't find anything else other than two inker uh, inking credits on pa- mighty Morphin from power rangers mm-hmm. and a guest oh, artist on uh strange academy and that's it wow. i wow. knew that this this was his first work at Marvel. That 
that is that is my. I mean, that's what I found. Maybe maybe there's more. And you know, but, uh... seeing him on Strange Academy probably threw off all of our perspectives because we probably all said his name and saw his name somewhere and just yeah. like normalized it. Yeah. Well, adding to TK's point about the synergy of this team, I mean, we know Jet's more experienced and Rachel's been around for for a long time, but she grew up like basically. A, I don't know if this sounds wrong, like a rookie artist, an unknown or talent. A new, yeah, like a rising talent, like Love just got race. in with two experienced cre- uh, creators, just went to town, and it's incredible. How, how much the art brings out. But we also have to point out lettering because some of our favorite parts here have been the onomatopoeic sounds. Yeah. And one of my favorites ever at this one, which is when the, both Grand Mal and Emiana are coming out of the like hellscape and they're like vomiting and, uh, and all that. That was great. We, we, yeah. we needed a good bunk here and there, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. He needed I, the I sound effects. Yeah. the bunk so much, but the hergs are really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that but, whenever, whenever it needs to be gross, Corey Pettit will always make it gross. Whether it's yeah. vomiting or whether it's somebody getting their throat slashed open, it will be a grody sound. And another page that really got my attention was when you know how Moon Knight's just like being like towering over both the villains here and just like out of the corner comes uh, uh Hunter's Moon like he just stood there behind the like the chair and like bitch I'm here too <laughs> and that was great but the color work was great how we mixed both Moon Knight's and Hunter's Moon colors like in one single stroke of light and yeah. I think that's great all right and then as we are wrapping up to move on to our next segment what are your final thoughts I'm gonna say for me I if this whole next issue doesn't play, take place and Tigra's not in that dress for the whole issue like just looking fabulous she could be just like the like it could just be art on her for the whole issue like if, if it's not though I'll be so sad but I probably won't because I'll be excited to see what they're gonna come up with but I'm looking forward to see Tigra slay <laughs> at this vampire convention <laughs> literally <laughs> you know it's really cool to see these two creators that we've talked about so much recently and these that we've covered uh, Jed McKay and Al Ewing take such an interest in the Tigra as a character who has been sort of forgotten a lot since Avengers West Coast and brought hey, in. Hey, and... Defenders Beyond. Well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Defenders Beyond. <laughs> Al Ewing for Defenders Beyond. But besides, uh, you know, Al Ewing with Defenders Beyond and uh, Moon Knight, it, you know, she hasn't been given maybe the due she's deserved, or maybe I just think she's deserved because hell, she's fabulous. I mean, what two great perspectives to get on that character, though? Like the universe large perspective and this like really tight just like one night party story and it's gonna be a specific type of party but i mean i think it really speaks to what i love about jed mckay and though i have not been reading this title what really could hook me is seeing how invested he is in up close character moments and in giving you really something that goes beyond just like oh that was a cool story for that character but really let me and moon knight's the perfect person for this let me get into their psychology let me really get into their heads a little bit he he does that work and i think it's clearly paying off to be in this run and having moments like this at the end of issue 17 where everybody's jaw is just dropping tk i think you're gonna love this run like when you <laughs> when you just get into it i believe it yeah i just want to see tigra that girling for 22 pages that's all i want oh my god cute cat girl yeah, that's all I want. For so that's my hopes. Yeah, can we get a cat girl tiger lookbook just for like maybe issue twenty? You know something you like know, that. Yeah, bring in bring in cat's eye, bring in cat's eye, bring in wolf spain. Let let there be like a whole cat and dog party issue. Like yeah, let's. Yeah, y'all just want a furry issue, don't you? I want. Which, by the way, I am so I am so effing for. 
<laughs> Why not? <laughs> Honestly, my thoughts on this is if you have not read Moon Knight, this particular run of Moon Knight, go back and read this because there is a lot of character development, not only amongst Moon Knight, but for Reese, for Soldier, for Zodiac, for like a bunch of different characters, and especially for Tigra. We get some really great, intimate, up-close, personal moments with Tigra that give us so much, and it's amazing and wonderful. I love this book. I love this book so, so much. It's just gorgeous on every level. I love it. I eat it. I consume it. And I want to see Tigra honestly kicking some serious ass in beautiful dresses. Like, that works for me on every level. I love what you guys are doing. Please keep it up. I think it's funny that basically that whole Vampire Nation deal was just a multi-level marketing scheme to get more vampires. That was really funny. (laughs) But yeah, this is a very special book. And as we mentioned, not many books, especially with lesser known characters, get to 17 issues. And to get basically like 14, maybe 15 issues of the same creative team now, like in 2022, is rare. And it's very special. And anyone who's not reading it should. It's Most of it's already on Marvel Unlimited. So just, you know, go check it out get the trades and we hope to see you here for issue 18 yeah i thought that was just such a perfect end to the segment that i didn't want to say anything after it because that was just like such a great that's phenomenal um i will say my my only final thought is that i was sure that dr botter hunter's moon was going to come back to life but now that he has and now that we know that the moon knights don't die both of them not just mark that means all those other moon knights from throughout history that we saw in previous issues were released from service so maybe there is hope for mark unfortunately it looks like you go to the moon knight hell after that but (laughs) you go to the moon knight room you go to the overvoid and serve in the afterlife or whatever that's horrible but you know like maybe there's hope for mark out there maybe eventually a moon knight does get released if they are not allowed to die let mark go to the white hot moon room where everybody wounds you yes well well let's room it on there now jason aaron will write it hey hey be careful he's gonna throw in another race it's gonna be moon knight on a moon cycle like it's gonna be like moon knight on like a giant uniwheel and it's oh my god i can't be- wait for a moon course there it's gonna be everything all right we gotta stop it before we give Marvel too many ideas for free. Commercial. We are back to talk about some Shang-Chi, but I do believe that perhaps this is not my favorite era of Shang-Chi. I really loved the previous arc by some of the same creative team, a slightly different creative team kicked things off. There was a different artist before Marcus Toe took over and did a beautiful job with the book. But there was like a family energy in the first volumes that here has given way to sort of more like a really much more authentic much more realistic take on the um iron fist houses of heaven battle but i don't know i'm thrown off what do you guys think i mean one really big thing to keep in mind is like it goes back really far shang chi is kind of a great example of a peril but quite different track from a character like Moon Knight, where Shang-Chi has been in Infinity Comics, miniseries, series that seem like they're going to go on for a while, then they get canceled and immediately get restarted. But the character has been in publication now, like popular present publication for like more than five or six years, with a lot of really interesting stories being told. But they are really segmented and broken 
everything down and there is not a running through line the way there is with a character like Moon Knight, what it offers us is discrete opportunities to have stories that we love and not say the run was bad because like, you know, there were eight issues that really weren't my cup of tea or your cup of tea. If this story is not your cup of tea, and I think it might not be mine either, Nico, you know, the the last one really was. And so on the one hand, like it, my love for the previous story is untainted. It maybe means that on balance, a, a story like this that is only going to have one more issue and then we are restarting again, maybe feels like I just look upon it with a little more negativity because it just isn't attached to those same elements that made me love some of the other stories. I only read the first two issues of this because... Valid. It, it wasn't my cup of tea. It's it's well constructed. It's a good story. It's just not a story that's gonna draw me in. Shang Chi is one of those characters who, like you know, I I think until the movie came out, maybe Marvel didn't take as seriously, and a lot of times was used very jokingly. And you know, there's a lot of unfortunate, bad racism in some of his early stories yep. from white creators. So it, it's hard to get into the character. I like. I think this current run is doing something i'm just not loving what it's doing versus where i did love the last arc and last run uh i love the focus on the family i love i love all of that it's just this one is telling a story that's important but it's maybe not my story so i think this series is the very big example of the meme this is brilliant but i like this more this run could be good and it's brilliant but yeah. i like the other run more and it's i think part of who shang chi as a character way back when we interviewed a Alyssa Wong. Alyssa Wong talked about how Shang-Chi is kind of the most lawful good character that Marvel has. And Shang-Chi will never, Shang-Chi never does evil. Shang-Chi has a very strict code of good and you stick to that. But that in lies some problems because there's only so many ways you can tell a story of a lawful good character where to out it just being the same story with a different coat of paint over, over top of it. <laughs> I think this corruption arc, or lack thereof, wherever story may go, is a good step but it does feel like i like seeing Shoshi interact with his siblings more because having him be able to bounce off of these characters that come from different backgrounds and the conflicts that arose from that familial bond and love that he has for them while struggling to have them understand you don't have to do evil just because our father did evil was really compelling and interesting and i thought that dynamic was really refreshing i mean hell we got a we got a new mutant out of it which yeah. how many people could say they got to bring to comics at least in modern times. So there's nothing wrong with this series. And frankly, I think it is pretty good, but the lack of siblings and the lack of that familial energy doesn't, it isn't resonating with me as much as the other issues did. And I think part of it for me is that the other issues felt like they told a big saga. They told like an era of Shang-Chi's life where he was pulling together the things that were going to become his, sort of like bread and butter of of like the storytelling elements that would go on to set the stage yeah. for runs to come. And here we're getting a very tight arc in a very specific way. And it brings up a term that we've been using a lot on this show. And it brings up my magic spirit stick. But MC unification. When we talk about the Ten Rings, we're really talking about like the Mandarin. And where that whole thing came from was an attempt to decriminally race the idea of 
of the Mandarin into something less horrifying. I mean, you know, the Ten Rings, which was horrifying. And so just different kind of horrifying, you know? And they've continually tried to fix this. And now we're at a point where there are 10 magical rings, which I have to be real. If you came to me and were like, the literal police came and <laughs> said, you have to be really literal about this. It's 10 giant rings. I would have been like, no, you can't do that. That's not good. I mean, they were ten finger rings at one point. What kind of other rings? <laughs> he said toe rings. But now I'm going to leave it there. Well, I'm going to the Video Music Awards thing where it was Jack Black and Sarah Michelle Gellar, and it was the cock ring. It was the Fellowship of the Cock Ring, right? No. Um. So anyway, that's the porn parody is uh, Shang Chi and the Shenzhen Cock Ring. Don't I give love that. Any more ideas? Well, don't give disruptive films any more ideas. <laughs> so I want to get your guys' take on it. How do you feel about this new ancient mystical artifact that we are kind of being told is major to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? and thus now it's a part of Shang-Chi's canon. How do you guys feel about, you know, basically what I'm going to affectionately call the Phoenix Bands? I can't I, I can't take any of these new things seriously at, at some point anymore because we've got not only one but two time traveling civilizations in the past started because of time travel we've got um you know we've got all these splinter realms and demonic realms and all of that stuff we've got you know like Marvel Earth being invaded by you know like probably in the space of one year like Asgard or, or um we've got them invaded by you know symbiotes and you know the Judgment Day event, like this, all has to take place within the same year on Marvel Earth. So, like, for something to be super uber important is just like, okay, everything else is supposed to be important, though. <laughs> oh, right, that new creation myth. Forgot, forgot. We're going with new gods. We're gonna old gods. You've been demoted. New gods, come on in. It's very American of us. Yeah. I mean, I do appreciate that a creator is taking the time to add to. To a mythology from a culture that most of the writers at Marvel are not really equipped, nor do they have the kind of authentic background experience or anything even tangential or adjacent to it, to really start making sweeping and broad changes to that thing where fictional mythologies and cultural mythologies kind of converge. You know, I think a lot of us would feel pretty comfortable, given our backgrounds as white people, doing Thor and Norse stuff and how Marvel's Thor might dovetail with traditional ideas of Norse mythology how those things might dovetail with history. Um, I, there are a lot of ways in which the majority of writers can access those mythologies and experiences, and it, it feels fine. We don't really bat an eyelash at it. When it's white people writing Asian mythologies, we do start to get into really problematic territory very quickly. So I'm glad that this writer is able to kind of take the time and do some of that work and keep it off the books of other people. I liked the idea of sort of a comparison between the Ten Rings uh, and Excalibur and the fact that Otherworld got in the mix yeah. a little bit. It does sort of give Shang-Chi's whole world a bit of stake in broader Marvel multiversal magical politics. I do think we then start
start to though have questions about like okay how do the kingdoms of heaven fit into you know what we know about talo can somebody pull all these things together is that important that we do it or it, are we just kind of gonna do this story and hope for the best i can't even imagine how rupaul would pronounce talo um <laughs> <laughs> So I need to pivot to Jonah and then we're going to do some last thoughts on Shang-Chi. Just, it's been a lot of fun and I'm really excited to keep covering it. Jonah, so lead us off in last thoughts and please start us off with your feelings on the Ten Ring. So I guess my, I won't say problem, but hesitation with introducing the Ten Rings and being told these are very important is that it now, you're kind of changing history a little bit and you can, but there's a lot of implications that come with now that the Ten Rings are in play and that all of these different groups are now know about it and want them. Well, were they trying beforehand to get them? Were they trying to break into Tao Lao to get them beforehand? There's a lot of things that you have to be careful with introducing and told and telling us this is very important. This is very powerful and everybody wants it. It's very similar to the reason we talked about on recent episodes, or at least I talked about recent episodes, why alternate history stories aren't the most popular because they can change way too much. You have to think about the implications of if you're introducing something, what does that change for everything? However, I don't mind this because again i think the idea of shang chi going through this corruption story and facing his own morality is very interesting especially when you have a character that's so geared towards goodness and doing well and being the hero and i like that but i don't know if this medium and this kind of story works the best because I don't know if this story really stands out comparative to other corruption arcs that we've seen in comics. How does Great this story different, differentiate itself? And how does this establish Shang-Chi as his own character compared to something like Jean Grey becoming the Dark Phoenix? Or, I, I don't know, uh, Dark Beat. I don't know, I'm just naming characters going through corruption things. It, it, but the point I'm trying to make is I want this story... I think I would have been able to really appreciate the story more if this was a little more a personal take on Shang-Chi going through his corruption arc because i think there's plenty of story uh, there's plenty of wealth of story to be explored there i feel like this was a little more safer in order to appeal to people who were fans of the movie which is fine i think maybe i'm looking for pushing the boundaries just a little bit more but overall there's really i can't say i, I can't really say there's anything wrong with this art and these issues there's really nothing wrong everything Same. works well everything looks right i think it just feels a little plain a little bit safe and if this was a very early season of any kind of reality show you would be getting read for fail for being safe. you said all my final thoughts couldn't say it any better myself shang chi plain and tall yep <laughs> I, I i'm just i'm 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 over here just still thinking like uh ten, ring, ten rings ten rings how are you gonna make them big i'm still waiting for jason aaron to explain how the phoenix force got in the shotgun oh please they can also it turns out combine <laughs> the ten rings into one giant ring that can like do portal things it's but also wild. there are actually 12 yeah um, actually. so there's that too you know we're really uh you know i will say that again this is a character that has kind of been put through the <laughs> ringer through like decades of history the ringer. <laughs> <laughs> with me. and so for him to get what again a lot of white popular characters get which is just kind of a a boring story in a sea <laughs> of better ones i think in some ways at least it gives me hope that like we're normalizing the presence of shang chi and we're normalizing the publication presence of Shang-Chi and some of the stories just simply aren't going to be good. I, Wolverine. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's i mean you know we're we're getting to kind of that zone i think we're testing the waters of like you know do we as fans really like the character that much i think i do i think if he was in midnight suns i would be stoked i would wonder why but i would be happy to see him it just kind of depends on what the adventure is i really appreciate that this is honoring a lot of background references to shang chi i like a lot of the people in his life um i the mythology stuff yeah i mean it's it isn't my favorite but my hope is that it is doing establishing narrative work that is groundwork for this character to be a wolverine a magic a character that we can see everywhere and be stoked about it and that different writers get to have their their hands in and we love seeing their take on him i see potential even though this is a little flat absolutely nathan any final thoughts as the guy who absorbed all the knowledge <laughs> so so i'm getting like if, if you're looking to to jump in you know, wait till it's on mu because it, it's it's probably worth a read for that yeah probably or the uh, eventual omnibus that will probably collect oh, okay. everything and you can read the uh beautiful family story along with us including is a- sorry including issue six which is going to close out the arc and the one shot from february i was about to say it is of note that we chose to do this now despite the fact that the arc had not ended because we sort of felt we were good here. Even if the ending is just blow your mind spectacular, I still think we kind of know what we know about the story now. And now we're looking forward to what is next for this character. And I hope it's great things. Well, what's next for us is a commercial. We've got an interesting situation here. Not for the first time, but we don't normally introduce Dare, or we had not previously introduced Daredevil into regular coverage. I think that is part of this change is that we will be covering this new run. Um, and you are also covering Daredevil's entire history. You are also wearing a Daredevil hat, a Daredevil shirt in front of a Daredevil background. I think you might have some thoughts. (laughs) First, I want to ask Nathan, where are you with Daredevil? And then, you know, we're going to go to Punisher in a second. So I'll I'll return to you for that. But let's start with Daredevil. Where are you there? So with Daredevil, I've been starting to pick it up and read it more, especially since Elektra came in as Daredevil as well. Uh, Elektra, love her. Oh, this issue. So good. I I had to get the the Pete Momoko variant. Oh, good choice. This Elektra. Oh, my God. So good. You know, it's something that I'm not as regular of a Daredevil reader, so I don't always like jump to read every issue as soon as I get it but um it's something i've enjoyed when i've been reading it and uh, this issue especially mm, amazing nico what are you thinking about this run so far okay so i'm really i've come to a place where i think when a character has 70 years of history 60 years of history 50 years of history you're kind of a dick if you're like this isn't really the character unless they're doing something really out of sorts unless he's running around being like i don't think i'm really that into religious people and i don't stand for the little guy anymore i don't think you're really missing the point of daredevil everybody gets to like their version of the character. It just so happens that this version of the character, the Zadarsky run, seems to pull from the best of the Wade and the Miller and uh, in many ways the Bendis and there's nods to Shadowland which is a very divisive run. I just think my actual main complaint is since Matt has been reintroduced as a Daredevil, I feel as though Elektra's time as the Daredevil has really been kind of squelched down a little bit 
bit. I need more Electra sharing the spotlight. She's not an accessory. This isn't Daredevil and Electra. It's Daredevil, and it should be Daredevils. Yes. But I think this is marvelous. You know, it's it's an A kind of across the board for me. And this new realm of side characters has only made it better. I just really think they're finding something so special in a character that is already so special to me. And my only dream is that it makes this character more accessible to people who could use heroes like these. And by heroes like these, I mean the incredible creatives behind this book who are fearlessly made, oh, fearlessly, making a Daredevil title. I can't, I can't. I, Tori, you need to catch up. Tori, <laughs> Tori, my bro. We, you we need it. you in this. It's so, I can't. All right, please, please move on to uh, move on to the weirdest book in Marvel. <laughs> you know, I we saw a while ago that a thing, you know, Devil's Reign started and it became clear in the pages of that story, particularly in uh, Electra, Woman Without Fear, that Frank Castle in the mix in a way we had not, I think nobody had expected. I think by by the time Devil's Reign started, we all maybe were thinking that the Punisher might be a third rail for Marvel at this point. Just walk away from it for a while. And instead, they kind of doubled down, did something drastically different, and the Punisher is now inextricably linked to the Daredevil universe as he is uh, the leader of the hand. So evil. He's so evil. I love it. <laughs> he is so in over his head. Fucking idiot. <laughs> Such an idiot soldier boy following orders. Oh, he's so stupid. Oh, it's so good. So, Nathan, let's... Same question. Punisher, where are you right now? Hold on, let me ask a question. Do you know he has magical powers now? That's going to be... That's part and parcel of where are you? Because if you don't know that... I was like, I, I I am decidedly usually not a Punisher fan. Like, my favorite iteration of Punisher is Frankencastle for a reason. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Cosmic Ghost Rider 2. Anything that makes <laughs> yeah. him not a dude on Earth that yeah. <laughs> vigilante police officers can be into. Yeah. Rachel oh. Cole Alves. So when I'm going into, when I'm reading this Daredevil issue, I'm like, what? What? What, <laughs> what is going on with Punisher? Like, I, it's just, it, it's what I saw in Daredevil 6 might be enough to get me to pick up a Punisher title, which is so like anathema to me like usually punishment is like i'm like oh like think of like the old war journal like uh comics from the 90s where i'm like oh not my thing like you've got like punisher and wolverine just sitting there like drinking shit and killing people which you know it's fine it's fine it's a good time but like it's not my idea of a time so okay um you know i just my my only thing i want to add to this tk and then i i this has been a weird journey with you and if you had told me this is where the Punisher was going to wind up with magic bullets, I would have said no. Wait, what kind of magic bullets does he have? Please tell me. (laughs) So, I mean, here's the thing. At this point, the Punisher is being told and it is being said that he is the leader of the hand. He is very clearly a puppet leader slash, you know, maybe a leader to a sect. It is very clear that as we are getting into the intricacies of the hand versus the fist and then the Punisher is the fist of the hand. It's so circuitous that I think they're really doing a solid job of showing us like nothing is as it seems, even for the good guys. Nobody really is in control. And there are some incredible elements that remind us repeatedly throughout these runs that our protagonist, the people that are tight, that these books are titled for are not in the control that they think they are. 
And in Punisher's case, partially that means that he is infused with powers from the beast, the beast of the hand that they all worship, that's part of the fucking death cult that they worship, who is a character that we see in, like, X-books sometimes, and he's like a quipping dad. And then in the Punisher book, he's like an unknowable stat statue demon. It's a lot. It's so good. I love um, it so much. It's so ridiculous. It's so good. It really, the Punisher, what it has been about, and this is, a, you know, I think Nico and I kind of agreed to go on probably, I think, what many would have said was an ill-advised journey. To yeah. engage with the Punisher at this point, I think, is a very questionable choice after what the character and the symbol of the Punisher yeah. has come to represent. I do believe Aaron and the team that are working on that book, uh, Torin Grimbeck, too, who is writing Punisher War Journal that's coming out quarterly along with this Which um has, I, is writing punisher wait and what? i i need to point out that there's an unbelievable artist on the next one and i just want to get it right because no, please it is so unfucking believable who is doing this next issue i i don't even know how to explain it yeah okay in february torn grunbeck and javier rodriguez oh. are doing a punisher one shot uh i don't even know how to fucking talk about this. why is marvel are, making me my is marvel making me have to buy punisher stuff like because those are both two creators that i will like buy anything that they do it is the golden age and these stories the war journal stories are meant to slot into canon such that as long as you're generally reading the Aaron run or understand it the war journals read just fine and it really is about establishing that yeah this character is a piece of shit he there's nothing to worship about this guy you know the bad actions are absolutely bad they are not maybe justified but on top of that he is a broken human he is not somebody that i idealize and on top of that he is clearly getting gained by a ninja death cult um oh and akka is clearly his boss that's and, and so we clearly his boss we introduce this character in devil's reign this child-esque character that is actually like an obviously very old probably demon that trained electra at one point um, Electra's stick is named akka and i can't i love her and she very clearly is in a lot more control and understands a lot more. And so, you know, it, we automatically know that Frank does not have the control that he thinks he does. He's not the leader that he thinks he is. And on the other side of things, in Daredevil, we've got Goldie, Frank's old, you know, college, Frank and Electra's old college friend, who is playing a similar role, telling them essentially, like, uh, we're all just pawns, like, this is all just a game. Bigger forces than us are just moving us, and I'm here to do things. Nobody is in any control. And I think it is a really, you know, I think it's important. I think it is important to establish both that the Punisher is not a character to love and to follow and to idealize in any way, but also to point out how his humanity is very close to ours. And we can't divorce ourselves from evil people and say, they're on that side, we're on this side. We are all kind of the same and always in danger of losing control and letting, you know, letting ourselves become idiots that think we're 
in control. And I think seeing those consequences both for Daredevil and Elektra and for Frank is really important. Agreed. And if if this segment did anything to make, because we have a, a group chat running in the background and fucking I should have known that a thousand percent Steve would have some awesome input on Punisher <laughs> and Steve chiming in with British Punisher is an amazing Punisher. And, they do love uh, British Punisher. They and love now uh, Javier Rodriguez, if, if this segment got anybody to read this book, I'm really psyched. Also, can I just, holy shit, is Maria gonna be like a mob wife now? Oh yeah, uh, Frank Castle's wife has been resurrected. Oh. And their it, children can't be resurrected because they keep coming back as worm monster people. Because, what? Because they've been dead longer than they were ever alive. So hand magic isn't strong enough to give them a full body. And since there's so little DNA left, they're doing the best they can. And it's like hideous body horror. And Frank has to execute his monster children. It is the craziest book ever. And what in the Submariner is this? It's all absolutely insane, but it is a really cohesive story. And two very different writers are at the helm. We've got Aaron on Punisher. We've got Zadarsky on Daredevil. You know, so this is not the same cohesive whole as when one writer is writing everything and it's all their plan and their take. It really, it's a dance. Uh, and Torn Grimbeck is in the mix too. Like it is not, this is not a simple thing that is happening, but we are seeing these repeated encounters between these two characters. And Nathan, last call. Have we interested you? Have we enticed you? Okay, I, I, I'm going to give this a shout on MU, see what's on, if it's on MU Punisher because like yeah uh daredevil i've got to say like what zarsky's doing with doc samson and like what the hell what the shriek what the hell is this like oh my god this is so cool like he's like like the idea that matt's trying to run a prison alternative prison is interesting and like i i'm really interested to see where this is going because like just the just the idea that they're trying to you know see what kind of ways we could do with prison reform and and all of that stuff in a marvel comic is really interesting and you know is is Archie gonna make some mistakes when he's doing this sure absolutely but like yeah. at least he is at least he's, he's trying something different and i i love where this is going with the character and i love that samson is still in his is still in walter's body love it Nico, go off for a second. Come on. This is this is a big chunk of your world right here. I'll say this much. Yeah. I love when books have beautiful interplay. And if you like what Daredevil is doing, reading the what is meant to be 12 issues of Punisher by Aaron, which what we believe will have four Torin Grunbeck war journal bonuses for a 16 issue run. And you really need to read the three issues of Woman Without Fear from yeah. Devil's Reign to make it all make sense. So if you're willing to invest in like this two parallel streams of narrative storytelling, I think it is uniquely rewarding for a reader. It's a beautiful way to see two very sad, ugly stories come together. And sometimes, like, it's like when a really pretty song has really depressing lyrics. It's it's sort of like that. And the way these two books dance together is romantic. It's, and the agony of Maria Hill, finally, Maria Hill, oops. I was the like, agony wait, that's when of, you said Maria at first. I thought you were talking about Maria Hill. <laughs> no, I'm just slowly melting on air. The agony of Maria Castle and she's starting to go crazy and there's this Nathan there is this woman in this book the mm. high priestess the high priestess hand. again another character who's absolutely in charge over Frank but keeps being like 
Whatever you say, Master. She uh? is literally the dark magic nightmare version of Destiny. Mm-hmm. And she is the scariest fucking thing in the Marvel Universe right now. And she clearly wants to fuck Frank. There's no other way to put it. She yeah. obviously wants to fuck Frank. And but why would he want to fuck anybody if he got his wife back? Who he's one? He's like wanted she's her since like his dead inside. Years. She is so fucked up from having been dead. She remembers being shot and in a coffin. Well, hand resurrections usually don't go the way you want them to go. <sighs> so that's all my input. I I recommend these two books. The Darcy the, the Darsky Daredevil is you know so high on every critic's end of year list. So high on every critic's best of list. I have nothing that I can add. These brilliant voices that have already said it's so much more eloquent. Uh, so few people are saying read this Punisher run because horrible things happen to as Jake puts it. Uh, Jake who is also you know on the show in the group chat. Uh, literally everything Frank Castle deserves because it's <laughs> disgusting and horrible. Absolutely. I don't say read this because Punisher is awesome. I say read this because it's high time Frank Castle got punished and that's what this book is. His punishment. It's like read it despite the character itself. <laughs> yeah. Read it because we have to figure out what to do with this character because he does exist and we have to acknowledge that. There's a lot here folks. I really I think I couldn't recommend it enough and you know we're at issue six for Daredevil we're like seven or eight for Punisher so not the biggest investment and a lot of payoff I promise you so I hope you'll join us we're gonna keep talking about these books as we as they proceed and we'd love to have you there with us and there is an amazing appearance from the hand Punisher in the next book we're about to talk about and I can't fucking wait but until then commercial First off, I got to welcome my partner in the next room who has not yet been introduced. Hi, everybody. I'm Jake. You can find me over on um, Twitter uh, at OmegaSentinel. That's O-H Sentinel. Or you can also find me on Instagram at The Heart Farmer. That's The Heart Farmer. We are here to discuss, I think, what somehow became one of my favorite minis of the year. Damage Control, written by Adam Goldberg. We've got a few artists uh, on the title, mostly Will Robson and Nathan Stockman. But first off, let's just kind of go down the line. What's everybody's experience with Damage Control? I mean, I read a lot of Marvel, so I've read them. I don't care. They're just just a company. Like, you know, when you're like, the Asgardians, it's like they'll die to save a world that isn't theirs if they think the world isn't as advanced as them, or they'll throw their weight behind a cause that they believe in and damage control whether it's a non-for-profit that's ultimately revealed to be a capitalist scheme or is openly a capitalist scheme or is secretly Roxon, or i don't give a shit it's just it's a company i don't care adam goldberg however is a delicious looking man and so i read the book yep I am the same. I was like, <laughs> damage control, like, blah. But I saw the cover and I was like, okay, cool. These characters are interesting. And then I saw Adam Goldberg and I was like, I was like, what? I was like, I actually like kind of love the Goldbergs. Like, like there's like one single episode that like is the best episode of TV to me of all time when they go to the restaurant with the with the family and stuff. Like, like the mother's just like royal. Yeah, perfect. Love it. <laughs> is it me? I... Oh, no. Oh, go ahead, Jake. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's just the graphic changes, the line changes. I don't know who's, I don't know 
what order we're in. <laughs> Go for it. Oh, well, like like many before me, I also uh, have thought, feel that Adam Goldberg is a fox um, and I have thought so since the first time I saw Days and Confused. Um, yeah. And as for damage control, I mean, yeah, they kind of exist in the background. I think they were in the um, first Tom Holland Spider-Man movie cleaning up. After. They've been in like all of them at this point. Yeah. Okay. Just like kind of an awareness that they're a corporate entity and that they, they clean up after things. Maybe seen like some covers for the 80s and 90s miniseries, but for the most part, never given them much thought because I don't really care much about the corporate entities of the Marvel Universe. They are usually evil, the corporate <laughs> entities of the Marvel Universe. So damage control feels like they could go either way. And after reading this, I still feel like they could go either way. They've got a, oh, is it Viridian Dynamics? They've got a Viridian <laughs> Dynamics feel. This, this series is very much a better off Ted kind of vibe. Your world, but better because of us. <laughs> Say thank you. Yeah, thank fun. you. So that's 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 where I am with this book and this company. Okay. Raven, what you got? Weaponized incompetence is not attractive to me. <laughs> and this book was weaponized incompetence slash failing upwards on steroids okay. in a very unenjoyable manner for a corporate entity who is supposed to be cleaning up and instead has people on fucking hold forever trying to deny their claims while not being able to seem to figure out that somebody is committing insurance fraud on an ocean-based villain using a fire-based arson. Like, what in the literal fuck is yeah. going on here? Holy shit, why? <laughs> Sorry. Tori? Um, I don't know these at all. Um, <laughs> I don't know her. But, yeah, basically. Um, but I really enjoy it because I like slice-of-life things where we see people not punch each other all the time and I am always loving to see how we can reflect corporations inside of inside of the superhero world because this all rang very deeply true for people who have to deal with really incompetent people all the time and deal with a management system that does not set up anyone for future competency if you're going to put someone into a hey can you check and see if these people's claims are for real i would give them a computer or a basic understanding of like what levels are actually worth moving forward uh and since they didn't i really you know a lot of this i can't really blame gus much for because he was set up for a lot of failure so um i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed it And, and, and the fact that he was office when he was like in the bathroom like and people yeah. were actively using it like I know yeah. I would like a urinal in my <laughs> office mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to know more about this urinal cake symbiote right. <laughs> <laughs> he's been I... eaten by a flurkin at this point so right? I don't know if we'll ever hear again we got oh. so many oh. amazing guest spots though that was our werewolf by night <laughs> that was black tarantula that was who I'm referring to affectionately as our punisher Magneto shows up <laughs> looking all sorts of what's going on going on they there was amazing yeah. cameos so yeah. many amazing, amazing cameos. wolverine dazzler yeah. was on the yeah. front page i was like what <laughs> Uh, uh, there was Captain Marvel. There was White Tiger. Like they had some amazing yeah. freaking cameos in the background. Like I'm not gonna take away from that. Just the overall setup for failure. Oh, I'm, I'm a person who has a bit of RSD, so like seeing that kind of failure, like that's it's only gonna come back onto that one person, and it sucks. And I'm like, you 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 set this poor asshole up for failure, and just I don't I don't like watching it. It's a train wreck that it makes me really uncomfortable. Okay, and why why would you as a company put 
on their first day, the intern in charge of delivering all the mail. When the mail is going to, like, if the mail's not all delivered, it's going to blow up the world. Like, something's going to happen, the world's going to end. Like, and on the one hand, I sort of loved the jokey setups and the over-the-top this kind of can't be canon stuff that was happening. It was good to have a laugh and good to take a break. But on the other hand, there was actually some potential here and there was some great writing. And there was, if we had stepped it down a level of slapstick and comedy, Mm -hmm. this might have really been the groundwork for more slice of life stories, more like in the superhero world, but not of the superhero world stories. And if I had one critique, it is that we maybe went so far into the comedy that I don't know that anything that happened here can be salvaged for future stories with without like a little bit of juggling and finesse, which is fine. It's just like when it takes that to get there, I, I start to have other questions as well. Well, I actually, I, I think the the biggest potential storyline coming out of this is is the one that came right out of the end with the Galactus seed. Yeah. Because, you know, if you read Defenders Beyond, you saw at the end that Taya is still hanging out in our universe. And so I would love to see the further adventures of Taya and Gus. You know, she finally, gets to, she finally gets to... Or or an avatar of her son, you know? I mean, he's kind of a piece of Galactus. Speaking of children and parentage, it's just so incredible that Marvel, you know, who, again, we're talking about a corporate entity. Getting that Marvel gave Charlotte McDuffie a chance to write in her father's universe in the backup story in issue one, that's giving a daughter a chance to pay homage to her late father in a way that honors his creations. And it was just really cool. And I very much support the move marvel making room for family and making room for sort of the steps to see more jennifer grunewalds thrive in this industry you know who has worked in special i think she's worked in special collections now for 15 years 20 years she just posted on her twitter seeing that work to tie this back to the real world people who have done the work and seeing that paid forward is the right step i honestly I guess kind of what I was expecting from this was almost like a young Coulson. So somebody mm-hmm. who's inexperienced, but overall competent. So like Schlapstick is, is fine, but it felt like it had real world ramifications, which is probably what really caused my irritation with it. Because I'm like, yeah. there are real world implications. How many times have we had a universe die over something so small? And yet, yeah. you know, like, like there are real world ramifications. And honestly, a lot of the actions that were happening would have honestly made things a lot worse for the civilian populace that it was happening around or to. So it's like, I was hoping for a young Agent Coulson. And if 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 this goes forward and they do more damage control, I would love to see a more, you know, very human, very, hey, I'm new to this whole thing, but slightly more competent and make it the company of, yeah, we don't know. Kind of like what they did with um, Black Cat and Spider-Man during uh, the death of Doctor Strange, where they had to go through and just take care of just some really basic shit that's on a laundry list for him to do. I would love to see that kind of stuff. That was so entertaining. This was just, eh, eh, eh. I said what I said. I know what I said, and I meant what I said. So yeah. I, I took it a little different than that. I didn't take it 
it so much as him being incompetent, but the company structure overall just like bureaucracy, yeah, no, yeah. Right? Like the bureaucracy of it. It was just so it's Hermes from Futurama. Incompetent. Yeah, mm-hmm. like yes. I, just, I just I just felt that the company was so inept that like here is a new here is a new associate here we're gonna throw you into this in like zero trainings like I, I I couldn't help but feel bad for Gus during all of it, but like but like I was just like damage control fucking sucks as a company. <laughs> like come and on, we're gonna go into last thoughts now and i just want to piggyback off of both of what both of you have said which is like i this was really fun and really funny and i i do really recommend it i think adam goldberg i'm shocked at what he understands about the marvel universe and the characters and the comedy that is inherent in a lot of these people i would love to see a series that had a writer with a similar comic sensibility but the series itself was a little more grounded in if, if i don't want to say reality then uh you know is grounded in the fact that this the marvel universe will continue after these five issues end and i would love to see somebody who could write some stories that i could really see contributing to the ongoing marvel universe and not be like really solid references really good jokes but so over the top with what they're doing that a lot of it just will never be like referenced or additive to the broader picture so i i have high hopes for damage control though what about you i really want to see adam Goldberg parlay this into television maybe get a Marvel Universe sitcom going I love She-Hulk and She-Hulk is brilliant high art and I think it needs to be celebrated and I think that that represents one form of comedy we could do something a little bit more sitcom jokey that plays to other audiences without dumbing it down I think and Adam Goldberg TV experience clearly a love for these characters he came in and said I know who these characters are and I respect them because even if they're was a sense of bureaucracy makes everybody completely incapable. Uh, The Marvel Universe cameos were so spot on Mm -hmm. and I just think this guy should be celebrated. He really did a great job. Hi, Obviously, you can tell by watching if you watch the Goldbergs at all. He's he's, he's grew up in in, in nerd culture, as, as we want to call it, right? So so like the fact that he had such a good idea and grasp of the characters didn't shock me. But you know, I I agree. Like if if, if we're gonna get something parlayed into like TV, I, I would like it to be a lot less over the top and slapsticky. I I feel like it was almost like that first time people get a chance to write comics, they like throw everything in the the mix and they're like, I gotta, I really want to touch this character, so I want to, I gotta put this in and, and i'd like to see a, a next time to see what happens when you don't feel that you need to throw everything in at the same time and then it's just like i would love to see like if this were to become a like a series or something it would be cool but yes you'd have to make the, the company a little less inept and the main character a little more i mean he was likable enough but like to be a part of galactus is something that you can't really like really bridge over in continuity unless you have like maybe like al ewing come and write that story next <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I like this book, although I guess what I what I was hoping for going in was that it would be more like a front line, like a mm. on the ground, serious, like, like the these Civil the War pe- front lines book. Exactly. Or like yeah, the 198. Okay. There was a 198 one, I think, similar to that, yep. too. And and it wasn't. This was kind of a bit more in like the tradition of especially like the 1980s sitcom Marvel, not brand Eck, like Forbishman. Yeah. I think Forbishman actually has like a, a ver- like a, a written cameo 
know, somewhere in there too. I think that last letter in the first issue is supposed to go to someone for wish. And I'm like, Oh, the guy with the pan on his head. Right. (laughs) So it was, it was fun in that way. It was fun in what it was referencing. I would like to see these characters and this company reinterpreted through the more somber lens Uh, with the caveat that like, there isn't a lot of good comedy there. I don't think there's a lot of good, like a good sitcom comedy in comic book form. A lot of it takes the form of characters breaking the fourth wall, a la She-Hulk, a la Deadpool. So it's good to see, I, I like the experiment with the medium, using like drawing from the superhero world to tell a story that is explicitly about comedy, uh, visual and, and and like, you know, storytelling comedy. So, you know, I don't, I didn't hate this at all. I think there's a lot of potential. I like what you, what y'all have said about the potential for TV storytelling and adapting this for television. I think this could go in so many different directions. It's got a lot of potential and it was a really a beloved project in picking up of the like damage control legacy i mean for <laughs> for me um i really enjoyed it i i don't have as much attachment as everyone i'm not looking for everything to tie into everything else or be important moving forward i have a habit of sort of seeing these mini series as like little bottle episodes in the great mm. grander scheme of things and so for me i just really enjoyed you know getting to see something a little funny a little silly and i think for me the only thing that I would have loved from it more is to have a character that we're already quite familiar with to be more important to anchor each each issue so that it was less all new characters and then some cameos of things that of things that we know but I really enjoyed it I thought it was really fun I would love to see more of this weird bureaucratic not very good at their job creates is very excited when issues pop out from their own that can make them <laughs> money in q4 like i i dug i dig that so i i, I liked it I, I think for me, the first issue was actually the strongest issue. And I really enjoyed like the way they're like, oh my God, we have to get this mail delivered. Get Nightcrawler. And they got Nightcrawler oh, to help you. this guy out and get the task more or less finished. And of course, he's like, dude, okay, I got to go. Cool, you're good. You're good. Gone. And then, you know, he trips and, and stumbles over the next, you know, problem or whatever. That actually really worked and it worked really well. Um, I think somebody also said Viridian Dynamics. Oh my God. God, yes. If they were to do something more like that, I think I could definitely get behind it. I just, the last four episodes issues was, mm, it was, I couldn't. I just, I couldn't. <laughs> but as you saw, there's a wide swath of people who very much enjoyed it. I just happened to be the one that it was not meant for, which is perfectly fine. Sometimes you're just not meant for everything and I'm totally cool with that. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's no quality shaming, you know, especially because it's, I think that's important to recognize that not everyone Every book is going to be for everybody, even if the books are great, yep. because there's no harm in discussion. And I think that this book brought out so much discussion yep. is why this show exists. You know, it's because this is such an outlier in the Marvel universe. It represents something worth discussing. And I love that we all didn't have the same thing to say. Yeah, Couldn't agree more. Hope we'll get other books like this to talk about in 2023. Mm-hmm. But until then, we got one left. Let's go to commercial and then talk about it. Hi, Adam.
All right, we are here to talk our final book of the day, and I could not be more excited to be talking about Miracle Man because this is our opportunity to integrate Miracle Man into our regular coverage. It has been such a long time coming, and of course, that involves none other than Kevo, our amazing producer who's been killing it all episode. Hey, Kevo. Hello. Uh, I want to thank you, number one, for producing our show, number two, for being my husband, and uh, number three, for being up so early the day after your birthday thank you so much thank you um yeah you know um i love the show you guys have been killing it and uh, i love this job this has been a lot of fun to do uh this is a little bit more of a struggle but you know i'm gonna get it down to be able to do both and we got this we do now and I here believe, we are miracle yeah. of miracles now i believe technically nathan you've been on miracle coverage before but i believe you've been on the miracle of kimota which Yes. was the demon day store yes yes which so like which is so crazy that one shot with all of the you know different realities and you know different looks at what miracle man is and to jump into these first two issues and i'm, and I'm very lost but i'm digging the story so far <laughs> but i am very lost as to everything that's going on you know i've read every page of miracle man in this in this run multiple times and like i don't mean this with disrespect to the original creators but there's times i'm still lost there's a certain element to this storytelling that's a little bit like jump cut in some really aggressive ways that leave me a little confused too now tk how much miracle man have you covered how much miracle man have you read and um miracle man covered absolutely none read very slightly more than that because i have been i mean like this is the thing what viewers may not understand is that Nico will often plop down in front of me a couple hundred issues and be like, hey, just, you know, you know, if you wanted to know who Daredevil was, these would be the ones. Uh, and you don't have to read all of them, but I can't really, you know, see the mountain and not climb it. So, you know, we've done it with Daredevil. We've done it with Thor. Miracle Man is kind of like my seventh wonder. And I was waiting for the Omni. I was waiting to kind of see where we were going. I, I this all for me you know i've always been aware of miracle man my partner loves miracle man but for me in this era it started with that ridiculous kang issue where it's like the doomsday clock thing where he like discovers the miracle man symbol in time oh, timeless yeah um and you know that was i think one of our first hints as readers that marvel was gonna maybe do the thing and it's a slow ramp up it's a real subtle ramp up but i i'm collecting all of my resources and i think the next 30 days are really going to be when i start to tackle this particular mountain and i'm very excited because i'm not reading a lot of issues but i'm paying attention to a lot of what is happening and you know i'm also getting a lot of clips from mr action that are just kind of getting me very excited for what is to come now i want to say that this issue marks something so significant in Miracle Canon, this is the final original issue of the original Miracle Man stories. So there has only been so many new Miracle Man tales. It's the all new Miracle Man Annual Zero, which featured two stories, one by the incredible creative team of Grant Morrison. Hey, Grant. And <laughs> Joe Casada, you know, Joey Q, who really fucking, like, you know, for all of the famous bad blood between Joey Q and Grant Morrison, 
course. And I love that I call him Joey Q. Like he's not going to punch me in the oh, face. Yeah. <laughs> but all right, who would punch the... that face? <laughs> so Aww. I would punch my face. So uh, all of the bad blood between Joey Q and Grant Morrison that's perceived, you know, if you were to believe the tabloids that, you know, they collaborated on this beautiful story together. So spectacular. And then my dream, the people who actually draw my dreams, Pete Milligan and the Alreds did a story as well. And of course we have uh, Miracle Man Zero, which was spectacular, but really should have been called uh, Miracle AU What You Do. And we find ourselves in this- The Miracle Boogaloo? Miracle Boogaloo. This arc signifies something really big. Now, the first Miracle Man volume, the Alan Moore era, it, for lack of a better term to put it as, the original writer era, right, is really about the inability for Miracle Man to connect with Kid Miracle Man due to the events of the never quite shown at the time, but, you know, later referenced and developed uh, incident that took the Miracle characters off the board. And that is ultimately the basis for what is currently known as the Miracle Man Omnibus. Now, this run by Neil Gaiman started with the slow reunion of Dickie, the uh, better known as Young Miracle Man, the hero who was missing from the previous volume, and bringing him into this world. So this is two different tales of a failed father attempting to bond with a child that he let down by running away and becoming a deadbeat, reimagined for the superhero world where the idea of father is elevated from superhero to God. And I think my, th so he kissed him. That was a panel that you did send to me. <laughs> I had so many weird gay feelings about that panel. So many. <laughs> so many. I was really like. And I'm the one who's read the most of it. Like, yeah. I haven't been called on yet to talk about my Miracle Man experience, which is most of the Miracle Man. Well, and it's so, coming. Like, it's coming. Okay. Uh, and there was a setup for you as gay men of a certain age. Certain age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, birthday for real. yesterday. Yeah. Well, listen up, Jim. So, um, it as gay men of a certain age, we fall into this weird balance. This, where, like, there wasn't a whole lot of positive queer representation for us to lock on to. Okay, and, I was wondering where you were going with this, but okay. And, you know, that this is part of the original run. That this has been around since, like, 1993. Okay, but you said the word positive, though. So, but continue. Well, that Neil Gaiman is so well-regarded for so much positive queer representation. He is. And in Sandman, in so many words. And then we come to this work, which in many cases, an arc needs to be allowed to play out for the ultimate fundamental purpose of the story to be shown. So this could be really positive queer representation. But Kevo, we never read these two issues, which were out in our original run. I purposely had us stop at the complete arc. Now, Wait, so they were out? Out? Yes, okay. these were available I for purchase. I didn't know if they were just completed. No, these were very hard to get, but I believe these were originally like Miracle Man 23 and 24, or 22 and 23. Because and... I saw the date August 1993. So I suppose yeah. that then, yeah, is when the last one was released. So, okay, fascinating. I have to look something up and continue. So my question for you then becomes, would you have been okay leaving off on this issue and sort of the, I mean, not to mention Winter Girl, we got to talk, but- Everything you know, about that child is so strange. She is never up to anything good. But so that is my question for you. How do you feel as the person who's read literally every word that Marvel has ever touched of Miracle Man, including the reprinted black and white strips, including the reprinted
printed black and white issues, including the interviews with Michelangelo and Joe Casada from the purchase agreement. You've invested so much. Would you have been okay with this breakoff point? And how no. do you feel about your experience with Miracle Man? Uh, my blurt reaction that I'm sticking with is no. I, I, I would not be okay with it. I have to look up some gay number before I answered and spoke. Love gay um, numbers. Gay numbers? I love. Are you looking up when Matt Fielding made out? Oh, of course I am. Of course I was. I was looking up that. I, I was also looking up when Sandman ended. I have these charts of pop culture that I like make and use and just use for references for my own frame of reference. And I have the Matt Fielding kiss marked and I have the end of Sandman marked. Is uh, end so of that... Sandman May of 96? March. So you were very close. And the Matt Fielding missed kiss uh, that got so much flack was from Melrose of, Place. From Melrose Place uh, was May of 1994. So this came out the summer before that, which means it was at the beginning of Melrose Place season two then, uh, which also means that it was like, gosh. Amanda had just lost the baby. Just under seven full years before the first kiss between two gay men on network television is when this came out in comics. All of that is really fascinating frame of reference. I would have been very upset. Uh, I would have been upset at the time. I would have been upset if we'd read this, honestly, because I feel like the way that it leaves off is, I mean, it's very traumatic, obviously. And moreover, it's very difficult to know where it's leading. I love and trust Neil Gaiman, especially now more than ever, all the things that he's produced over the course of his whole career and what he's been producing lately, what he did to update Sandman for modern storytelling for Netflix and their adaptation was amazing. So especially because it's him telling this story now, I have faith that I can trust that it's not going to go somewhere upsetting, misleading, queer baiting, because that's sort of where I'm afraid of right now. It felt like sort of a bait and switch for a shock factor and um, Avril is actually trying to mislead Mickey for some reason. She's always been kind of shifty, which these two would not, they're, they're not as familiar with Avril. I'm telling you, she's she's not, she's got her own agendas. Did she's, I call her Winter? She, Did I switch her for a different? Oh, I just thought you were talking about the naked baby. No, I'm talking about this Avril Marvel woman. Yeah, I just switched which which Miss Marvel character. I would, yeah, no. Avril is so complicated. Thank you for correcting me on that. And please continue a thousand percent. No, totally it's fine and but like they're all complicated all these people and i really appreciated this issue uh making a little bit clearer the fact that a lot of those kids are miracle kid because it was kind of hinted at but if you haven't read so far you only kind of understood what the hint was but you don't really understand how there's five thousand miracle babies when um you know i feel like people who just picked this up for the first time are on the same page as dickie being like oh my god what and you and me are probably like that's it that's only five thousand so far i was actually expecting like ten thousand miracle babies by now because he was just reality he was giving out his junk last yeah, we saw just... and was like anyone who wants a miracle baby you can just have a miracle baby and i'll give you i'll give you kind of that's 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 we're creating a miracle race and Jumping we're gonna take couch. care of all of you and you know everyone's here to just live in our utopia and that's that's so so it's crazy i i can't imagine what you guys's reaction to um the 
the carnage. I didn't need to get so emotional on screen. Oh my God, this story is so intense. And it's Neil Gaiman. And it's the stories that he weaves. Oh, do you someone know else? No, yeah. someone else just go because like, I know who that kid was. Yeah, oh, I, oh, I that documentary. Oh, and, and the question that popped into my head as I was reading that panel, and it actually made me burst out laughing a little bit was, God, Dickie, what order did you watch those two in? I really hope you watched Peter Pan second. So do and either, I really hope it helped. Do either of you know anything about Johnny and the ultimate story of Kid Miracle Man? No, please tell me because I've been like, I am like, what is this? I need to know more of this. Like, please, please, please. Anybody who doesn't want to know should turn off now. But essentially it is that miracle people, <laughs> miracle <laughs> people have an alternate body and they switch bodies. And after this explosion that essentially killed Miracle Man and Young Miracle Man, Kid Miracle Man survived and was just fine and remained um, in his miracle form and aged to adulthood a super god and never for one moment yes miracle whip indeed and never for one moment experienced humanity again after losing his whole family and was truly a corrupted god and was defeated several times until ultimately mickey had no choice but to kill him uh after it's he destroyed most of london that there was originally a much harder division of the personalities as well so it's not just that johnny snapped it's right. that kid miracle man snapped and sort of was holding johnny prisoner uh, in his own yeah. body and Johnny tried to hold Kid Miracle Man at bay and was going through a lot of traumatic experiences in his mortal life and was put in such mortal peril that he let Kid Miracle Man out. And that's what led to the carnage of London in 1985. And it's from there that Miracle Man stepped up and sort of became this god figure saying, yeah. okay, I'm going to put humanity on track and you can get on board or not, but I'm a god and I just want to take care of all of humanity. And he really just just wants to do better because he feels like he failed Johnny so badly by leaving him to deal with Kid Miracle Man. It's like, what if your son became the Dark Phoenix? And it is just so gut-wrenching. And uh, this this was like, we got really emotional covering Miracle Man in the first place. It is absolutely like one of my favorite fictional works ever. I have a little Mickey uh, minifig that I like yeah. carry around with me. And <laughs> Not quite. So, you know, the whole thing about this story is it's a complicated tale of responsibility and ultimately what we owe ourselves and Mickey believes he owes himself nothing and believes he owes the world everything and sees a better miracle child to replace his mistakes with Johnny not that Johnny was a mistake but the mistakes he made with Johnny yep. by creating an army of miracle children a world of miracles and then putting Dickie at the center of he can prohibit the possibility of the corruptive nature of what came before if he controls everything and I think it really plays out in a dynamic way that, you know, translates to now. Nathan, TK, I'd love to get your guys' takes because we just sobbed on camera for 20 minutes. And if I may only add, if that influences okay. your perspective on what happened with Dickie and how Mickey must be feeling about Dickie taking off like that. I, I definitely need to go back and reread this with that knowledge because it's going to definitely change how I read this whole issue. Um, it's a lot. I do, 
have one like absurd question. Which one was the one that Linda McQuillan married? <laughs> she married an alternate universe version of Young Miracle Man, Dickie. So okay. the one who I actually so the main think... one, the red one. Okay, the okay. middle one. They made a really good case for me that Dickie might be a homosexual. Like I could see then? him being gay then, yeah. but the one that's with Linda is an alternate universe kid Miracle Man who I'm very certain loves Linda. She's a beautiful woman and deserves that kind of romance she's and I want fabulous. Like, well, you know, like he, she doesn't like she she's fabulous. She kinda like, I don't know, like kinda was hot for Betsy anyway, I think. Who isn't? Oh, right. So like let them both be by. Cool. Yeah. The mirror so, I don't have a ton of comments. I have a lot of questions, more than I think we can answer here, but I am interested in uh, pulling the camera back a little bit and asking you guys kind of what you think is next for this major acquisition for Marvel that they keep really kind of hinting at it might be a big thing for the universe that we cover day to day here. And, you know, that it really does feel like kind of a doomsday clock moment. Are we about to see the bringing together of a force that kind of outshines like the ones that we saw in Defenders Beyond, for instance. You know, it goes to the heart of how Gaiman is responsible. So there's, okay, there's that fictional idea that if you need something really impossible to happen, you need something borderline impossible to happen. Because if you can create the possibility of the possibility and create context for the context, that's how in fiction you can suspend disbelief. In a meta way, Gaiman already brought Angela to the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So why can't Miracle Man be next? I think Marvel knows how to play a really good hand really well. I think they occasionally know how to play a really good hand horribly. But I think when it comes to Neil Gaiman, they play it very well. And they have courted him for decades and have always made it clear that they're never going to DC more him. They're always going to Marvel Gaiman him. And they're never going to give him up. They're never going to let him down. They're going to turn around and give him Miracle Man. And I think they're going to let him finish Silver Age. And then I think all bets are off. Then I think uh, some Miracle people are going to show up in the Marvel Universe. Do you think that Miracle Man will get to make more of an impact on the Marvel Universe than, say, Angela did, who was, like, a really hot news item when she came in and then just sort of maybe hasn't lived up to the hype that when she was introduced? Same question. Depends on how organically they do it. Are they giving us a world where Mickey steps into the Marvel Universe and is like, I'm your god now? That's going to have some reaction. It also doesn't really feel like Mickey. Mickey's kind of an observer. He he gets involved, but he's kind of an observer. I think if Kid Miracle Man shows up, if Johnny Bates shows up, yeah, that's going to be an awesome summer crossover because then Hmm. we need Mickey to save the day. But, or Dickie, or fine, Avril, fine. Oh my God, the worst case scenario is Avril comes over. I'm most curious to see how all of this shapes out because I think that is definitely going to affect how Miracle Man is going to influence the Marvel Universe at large, how the other characters will. The thing that makes me so nervous about the end of this story and this chapter and where it left everything is, you know, Miracle Man himself is, as Nico pointed out, pretty selfless and pretty I will do whatever for the world and not in like a blah way, but he was sort of offering himself to Dickie and was sort of going to probably be like, look, you know, this is a free love utopia society. So like, we're not tight boyfriends or anything, but like we can be more if that's 
what you always wanted. And I don't know what sort of reaction Dickie is going to now have, whether it is triggering something in Dickie that he has repressed that this is going to unleash something bad. Because, you know, especially as Nico pointed out as well, as gay men of a certain era, we understand that sort of experience better than a lot of younger audiences do, uh, where it's so much easier to be out. And we don't even understand what it was like in the 50s for Dickie. So there's a lot that could come from his reaction here. Uh, we don't know. Was Avril planning something? And that's going to lead into something. So there's a lot of dominoes that still have to fall before we can say how Miracle Man or any of the Miracle family is going to influence the Marvel Universe. And I'm just so very nervous because this was such a, t- a, a tender place to leave everything, especially for 1993. You know, that's why I looked up all those gay numbers because like gay numbers people were brutal to Melrose Place over the character of Matt Fielding and calling him a token and how his inclusion was so tokenism and ludicrous and watching that as a gay man in 2020 at 35 years old I was like this character is fucking great if I had seen this all the time on everything everywhere had like had at least a major love interest every season major gay stories every season if I had seen that when I was a kid it literally would have changed my life my life and so I'm thinking about stuff like that and I'm thinking about if this had been where a story like that had been left off and Nico and I as 13 year olds reading Miracle Man and saying do you think do you think and then seeing that I don't know how upsetting that would have been to leave that for like 30 30 years years almost Um, and I don't know where it's gonna go I just don't want it to I don't necessarily need it to be like cutesy and everything in a bow but like I also need it to not be gay pain Mm -hmm. and I trust Neil Gaiman in general because he's such a queer champion and a queer ally but you never know and people do things and write things that they realize in retrospect um oh shit you know maybe I shouldn't have put it that way I think Gaiman's learned especially if you watch the differences between the Netflix the Netflix adaptation versus the actual comic itself I I think he's really learned in the ways he wants to present things and has really developed his worldview even further I mean who wouldn't since the 90s right um but like so so yeah I I can see a glimmer of hope I think if this came out at the time and was continued at the time I think it would have been a lot of gay pain and I just hope that it's not gonna be now or would it and would it have been something gay positive in the 1990s it's hard to say and so I'm also excited too is the thing well you know some gay pain I see your finger let's be careful about how much we talk about gay pain and positive in the 90s all in one (laughs) sentence Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. But I do want to kick it to TK for some final thoughts. And yeah, again. Wind this uh, bad, bad boy down. I am I am going to not do my thoughts. I'm going to do more questions, but I'll make this one simple so we can get an answer really quickly from everybody. Gaiman finishes out what he has had planned. We come to the end. Maybe we come to a point where Miracle Man or a bunch of people from the Miracle Universe or in the Marvel Universe. Who is your writer that you would be happy to see carry on the legacy that is being built here. 
Neil Gaiman, Kieran Gillen. Mm. Um, I'd be happy to see Al Ewing do a lot of really cool stuff. Really great mind. I think we need a strong influx of women so that it's not like, well, there's only so many women at Marvel. Who can I pick from? But, you know, not to have a favorite anything, but like one of my favorite writers at Marvel is Torin Grunbeck. And I think Torin Grunbeck would do a really interesting job shaping the women of the miracle verse very carefully. Um, I would just say, like, I think if you're going to, it depends on what you're going to do. If you're going to build like a franchise out of this, like you've got to do, got to do the Ewings. You've got to do the Gillens. You've got to, I, I like Torin Grunbeck brought in because she works really well with mythologies that are already established. Truly. And without characters. And then I think you've got to have like a wild card fun book. And after Exterminators, <laughs> I just want to see Leah Williams do like a really fun, like everybody like, like going crazy and die book from her. Uh, you know, I'm not as familiar with all names and everything, but I know the vibe that I would really love and the thing that I'm really most excited about from these heroes and this family and this world and this idea is how queer and open and 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 that uh, powerhouse of a character uh, and having that translate over to the main universe. So just a lot of queer writers and artists on this title going forward is something that I would really love to see because this is a lot of power to give to uh, some very queer characters. I think Teeny Howard could probably flesh out Avril to an interesting character. Mm. A more interesting character. And that I haven't seen enough of, so I don't know enough of her to say if she's interesting or not. And could we just get like a black miracle character or like uh, a, just like a non-white miracle character of any kind? We are just like drowning in Nicole Kidman milk mm. in the miracle verse <laughs> and I could use a little more miracle melanin and it would just bring the book somewhere new. We're talking Talking in very binary terms, Miracle Man, Miracle Woman. It'd be very exciting to have Miracle Person, Miracle Them, especially for how progressive this title is meant to be. And some very non-determinate Miracle Them personages would be really cool. People who are very, I'm male today, female tomorrow, you don't get to decide who I am. I'm always, you know what I mean? You saw in the first issue that the Miracle Kids wear a lot of different bodies. And so I think that that's something that can be used to explore a lot of really interesting stories as well. So whatever they do, whoever it goes to, I need it to be as progressive as the ideas that built this story in the first place. Yeah. Love it. And with that, longest episode of all time of any show ever. Worth, uh, worth the extra time spent, though. Totally. I just feel like 311 on a New Year's Eve. So oh, I, I've been to those shows. That's amazing. I Shut the fuck up. I can't, we're turning this broadcast off. As always, this is the team that actually like brings you the stuff behind the scenes every single voice that you've heard today are the people that make this show possible that's steve that's raven that's juancho that's jake that's jonah these tori who is really tori who loaned herself over from the billy club who really is you know the the leader of things over on billy club with me and uh she carefully and cautiously took up her time and was like okay i'll do this because it's a mini series uh she knows how not to get into it and i could not be more grateful to all of them and i want to thank everybody on the screen right now who are the behind the scenes folks who keep the show running nathan TK and of course Kevo our amazing producer this is X's for Podcast Live we are loving this format we're going to keep this thing going uh, hopefully when we say two hours we keep it at two hours and a little bit less two and a half but uh, you can find everything about the show over at X's for Podcast.com X's for Podcast on social media and until next time keep these mutant lights lit those Krakoan gateways open remember the Punisher has magical powers and you can too and we'll see ya <laughs> <laughs>